Hello and welcome back to Back to Life. I'm really happy that you're with me today. My name's Millie and I started this podcast to demystify, destigmatize and shine a light on the healing process. Whether you're recovering from mental illness, addiction, burnout, grief, trauma, anything really and however you're choosing to do it. There's so many paths on there and that's what this podcast is really about exploring. My guests are all from the world of electronic music and I think it's really exciting because I think we're at a time where as a community we're thinking more about how we can better look after each other and ourselves and I'm so here for it. Uh, I am a sober person myself who's in long-term recovery. I'm also a DJ uh, and many other things um, but I'm totally fascinated by other people's stories and since making this podcast I'm finding out that so many of you are too excuse the little husky voice at the moment uh, we had our first back to life party at the weekend and I've had a bit of a cold um, but it was absolutely incredible so I just want to say thank you so much to everyone who came and bought such good vibes it was really an amazing evening thank you so much to the djs who played to shiki ota bex and gallagher massive shout out going to you so on to today's guest i actually met uh, my guest today coming back from cosmic roots festival a couple of years ago where we've both been playing and we were in the same taxi together and on a train together and we struck up a really lovely conversation uh big shout out to stevie cox who i think was the one who instigated it um and the three of us nadia my guest today stevie and me just didn't stop chatting the whole way we completely bypassed any small talk and went straight for the real stuff we were talking about adhd sobriety wellness meditation fear of judgment from others and so much more and these are a lot of the topics that we're going to explore today in the podcast. Um, Nadia is one half of Kiara Skuru. They are an incredible uh, DJ and production duo who are really making waves at the moment. They play very multi-genre but they have their absolutely have their own kind of distinctive aesthetic going on lots of psychedelic stuff acid trance cosmic euphoric sounds throughout yes so definitely check them out and Nadia uh, who is uh, one half of Kiara Skuru alongside Rosie Ammer is also a coach so she is a coach for the creative industries and so she has a lot of wisdom a lot of experience um, a lot of professional and personal experience to share about kind of staying well and balance and retaining that sort of inner wellness uh, amidst like a world and an industry that can often feel like it's in conflict with that essentially. Something I was really excited to speak to Nadia about was ADHD because it's something I really wanted to cover uh, in depth on the podcast for a while. I think there's so much to explore with this subject. I think it's so pertinent. Uh, for people in electronic music and creatives in general and it's something that kind of societally I guess we're learning a lot more about a lot of people are getting diagnosed a lot of people are recognizing these traits of neurodivergence in themselves so it's lovely to speak to Nadia who is someone who has ADHD and other subjects that we also touch on in this podcast are perfectionism shame particularly in relation to ADHD 
uh, finding purpose and meaning, music of course, and finding your identity through music. It's a really lovely conversation and I do hope you enjoy it. As I said, Kiara Skuru have been really um, on a massive ascent recently. It's been really exciting to watch them. And just a couple of months ago, they actually did the biggest gig of their career, which was supporting Bicep, which was looked absolutely incredible. Uh, so I started off by asking Nadia about the highlights of the last couple of years. I think the highlight probably was the Bicep gig. Um, it was definitely the scariest as well. You know, that came about through us kind of pushing ourselves out of our comfort zone and actually asking for a gig, which is something we don't normally do. But we did a mix for them for part of their mix series. And it it did really well, performed really well. So uh, I kept nudging Rosie because she's the one who spoke to, she kind of had the contact. She used to speak to their manager quite a bit. I think she's friends with them. And I was like, Rosie, come on, like, let's just send them a little email and say, would you want us to support you sometime? And she was a bit like, uh, maybe, I, I don't know. And it was like the, the sixth time I asked her to do it, she was like, fine, I'm just going to do it, just probably to keep me happy and stop asking me. So, but she kind of, she emailed at the perfect time, apparently. Um, Sasha, the manager, said that she was literally sitting at her laptop with Bicep talking about who they wanted to support them. And then they got that email and they were like, oh, but well, there you go. Amazing <laughs> synchronicity. Yeah, so. I was listening to a podcast with Davina McCall recently. Uh, she was on Diary of a CEO. Have you heard it? Yeah. She was saying, I've got absolutely no shame about asking for things I want, about kind of, you know, keeping in touch, basically harassing people <laughs> until she gets what she wants. And she totally attributes her success to that because she basically got her first gig by kind of continuously emailing someone at MTV because you can't just sort of sit there and think oh yeah mate like telepathically hope that someone like thinks of you or remembers you no completely you're so right it's funny because I actually when I heard her say that I thought about the, the bicep thing and I was like oh I'm so glad I did I did that like see it, it's okay yeah. I mean this is such a generalization but I, I hear it from women a lot more than than men this kind of fear around doing things like that or fear around pushing their, their music or their like whatever they're doing in that creative space so I don't know if it's kind of like partly a society thing as well historically with women where we've kind of had to stay quite small and kind of quite silent but that that's one weird personality trait I've had about myself I don't know why since childhood I've got I've kind of um I actually kind of attribute it to being um on the spectrum which maybe we can talk a bit about later but um I've I've never really had that big an issue with kind of kind of trying to go and get stuff or try and make things happen or try and go and ask people for things really yeah even if it can be a bit annoying at times yeah I've definitely found like it's worked more than it's not worked or I've definitely got a lot more results once I've been in that kind of frame of mind So tell me about your kind of early experiences of DJing. How did you kind of start doing that? I got into DJing at uni. It was the only society that I remember being like vaguely interested in. And I know that I remember thinking, okay, I need to join one society to put it on my CV. There was one called the the Beat Society. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I signed up to that like pretty much in the first month, I think. Um, and learned to DJ on records, on vinyl originally. Um, very briefly I didn't take it too seriously um, I couldn't really like afford to buy any equipment at the time 
so I would just kind of turn up now and then practice and like not yeah never never think too much about it but then in my final year of uni there was kind of opening slots for DJs to kind of try out and I just bought a really cheap controller off my another friend of mine at the time again not really having any plans with it but kind of just at least wanted to have it in my room and then I just I just kind of went for it I asked to do a gig was like very terrified I think it was somewhere in King's Cross I thought it was going to be absolutely terrifying but it felt actually enjoyable and then from then on I thought okay maybe this is something I want to keep doing but I again I dropped it I I I think after uni I just I got a bit busy with work and kind of trying to focus on my career so I didn't really think too much about it but it wasn't until I was at uh, I was working at Red Bull Music um, kind of like as an events assistant grad scheme thing and I had to send some drinks to uh, represent radio, the radio station. And I got this kind of group email to like clearly everyone in their contacts being like, hey, are you interested in having your own radio show? Literally within five minutes replied. and was like, yeah, I'd like to do it. And I don't know what, like, I hadn't even been thinking about it. And then I, I got a reply within five minutes being like, hey, do you want to come down? So I had a bit of a freak out, thought, who, who do I know that would be like, up for, for trying this with me and I'd met Rosie literally about two weeks before so we didn't even really know each other I'd met her about twice and I thought I'm just gonna ask her she's probably gonna think I'm really weird it was quite nice because it was like this, the part of the journey was just us starting a friendship as well and kind of getting to know each other amazing so yeah you must you guys must be really close having kind of started together learned together and kind of gone on this whole journey I think it's double the fun because there's two of you and I can imagine that that yeah yeah that that's quite a special relationship yeah it's it's such a special relationship like she is also pretty much my best friend it's just this kind of slight difference in that we almost feel kind of like not business partners but kind of like partners of some sort I know that I've, I've heard from like a lot of different duos or people in the music business like They've said to us a lot of the time when they've seen us out, like, oh, you guys are so lucky you get on how you do because, you know, loads of duos end up hating each other or loads of duos, like, argue all the time. But but we've just been really lucky that um, we, we fit in, in the right way. We kind of tick different boxes, so we, we support each other. Mm. It's such a important part of relationships, I think, yeah, to find kind of someone who kind of balances you. I was just going to say that's kind of what our name is based on as well. Yeah, thanks. Um, which is like the the, the dark and, and light. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's like an art history term and they use it a lot in art as well. Um, it's But it's spelled C-H-I-A-R-O and we spell it with a K. Um, so yeah, basically it's like used as like an art technique. It's like, it means between dark and light and it's used in kind of terms of like shading and things like that. But it kind of represents our kind of opposite, polar opposite um size as well who do you think brings the darkness who brings the light rosie says she's she's the dark and i'm the light but she only says that because she she has like loads of stamina and i get tired really easily it's basically what she means i'm like slightly more sensible than her so in that sense but i think it can mean different things in some ways i'm i'm the dark and she's the light for sure What actually led to you starting to get into coaching? So I was kind of in my like mid to late 20s. I think I was about 27. Like when I properly reflect, I do think it's been something that I knew I always wanted to go into. um, Not coaching itself, but a a kind of a job where I was 
holding space for someone and being able to connect with someone in a really deep, meaningful way. When I look back, I realize that's probably something I always wanted, but kind of try to put to one side. I was working kind of full time in the music industry and DJing and trying to be, you know, make it in the industry, whatever that means. And I was just, I was getting physically and mentally very tired, uh, a bit depressed, I would say. Like I was just feeling like, I think many people can relate to this, this feeling where you're doing something, but you don't feel like you're on the, the right path at all. You're, you're just waking up and you're going to work and you're like, this isn't what I want to do. But then you try and ignore that feeling and you're like, okay, just stop it. Like this is, this, this is just life. This is what you have to do. Just, just like kind of shut up and deal with it. But to be, to be honest, it was more the, the physical side that made me think, shit, I can't keep doing this. I just started to get exhausted, like really tired. But I was so embarrassed to admit it to people within dance music. Like it felt this kind of shameful thing to say, I don't feel well enough to go out tonight. I didn't tell many people. Like I think I told maybe like my family and my boyfriend and maybe like my best friend and that was it. But I was, you know, really not feeling well. And But no one around me would have known. Um, I'd been to the doctors. I had all these tests. It was coming back that I was okay. But it didn't make sense because I was genuinely feeling so unwell experiencing various symptoms but one of them mainly being like extreme tiredness um and I thought okay I'm just going to work on my health I'm going to like start moving my body I'm going to start you know feeling my body in the right way and it did actually have a really positive effect quite quickly um and and what had a massive effect as well is actually cutting down on drinking and like whatever substances anything when I really started to look at that was when my, my body started to feel so much better and I remember going out at points pretending to drink like people offering to buy my drink and I go no it's cool I'm gonna get it and I would pretend it was like a, a gin and soda or something when I was literally just drinking soda water and lime yeah and staying up all night and kind of like feeding off everyone's like drunk energy but eventually it got to a point where I was just feeling weird like I was like I just feel like I'm a bit of a fake <laughs> like I'm trying to be healthy and then like pretending I'm still like still like super into raving and like getting fucked up or whatever I was speaking to someone from a health so I went to this health workshop one day and someone I was kind of telling her how I felt about all this that I kind of had this double life and she said oh you should talk to this friend of mine she's also a coach she she's really good with this stuff she helps people with authenticity and I saw her for about four five months and we just had many conversations where I thought you're I kind of want to be do what you're doing I feel like I'd be really good at this I'm I'm now getting to a point where I I feel like I'm starting to be a lot more open as a person and you're reminding me of qualities that I think I have and and I spoke to her about it and she was like I I think you'd be great as well is this something you've ever considered um and I didn't yeah I I it, it was all quite quick so I handed in my notice um quite quickly because I kind of made this kind of snap decision that I was just gonna try and start again start the, the slate clean you know this is where kind of privilege comes into it at the same time my my grandma who I was very very close to sadly passed away uh but she left me some money like a few grand and I saw that as a kind of sign that this is my chance maybe to go away and start again, come back with a fresh a fresh perspective. So I went traveling with my boyfriend for a few months, 
didn't know what the hell I was going to do when I got back. I just knew that it was going to be not in music, like nothing to do with music. I just needed a break. I experimented a lot. I did quite a few different courses, was still kind of being really bumbly, figuring out what I wanted to do. And that's when in lockdown, I set up my practice as a, as a coach. Since then, it's been a lot of trying to build myself up, kind of build my network up, um, decide what kind of coaching I, I want to do and coach kind of what coach I want to be. I mean, even four or five years ago, I don't feel like wellness was, well, I don't really like that word. Well-being was like that acknowledged within the music industry or that cool. But now everyone seems to kind of be okay with it and wanting to talk about it. Um, so you came in at the right time. And what kind of clients do you tend to see? Something I've quoted before in the podcast is often we teach best the lesson we most need to learn. And I find that often, because I do not coaching, but through my recovery program, I mentor other women through their recovery. And I often find that the women I who come to me, there's something within them that, you know, is very pertinent for me. And yeah, there's this amazing loop of using kind of your experience to help someone else and, and how that also heals you as well as the person you're apparently helping to heal. Yes, that's so weird because I was literally thinking about that today and wondering how to bring that into conversation and you've done it because um, I always feel like I, I learn so much from my clients and then like you say, it's like a mutual healing experience. I definitely tend to see mostly women that I think do tend to be a similar age bracket, so like mid-20s to uh, mid-30s. Um, a lot of them in creative industries uh, and a lot of them actually dealing with either burnout, so it's either physical burnout, or struggles around um, perfectionism, which is something I used to really struggle with and have to constantly kind of work on and be aware of. So those do tend to be the kinds of women I I see. I just wanted to go back a little bit to when you were talking about before you got into coaching, uh, about what that feeling that you were experiencing that kind of purposelessness or meaning you know feeling lost um feeling like you're kind of going through the motions that you know you weren't enjoying your life you weren't living your life and you were just kind of disillusioned I guess do you feel you found more meaning in your life since taking on this yeah. new vocation completely and, and and I don't want to make it sound like smooth sailing because it just has not been at all and but, but I guess like that's kind of the beauty of it it's not it wasn't like I found coaching and suddenly found my my purpose. I was still, <laughs> I found a little bit of it. I found like a spark of an interest. And then it took a lot more digging, like two more, two more years digging of, of really trying to figure out specifically where I wanted to go. In answer to the question, it's only been, the, I'd say the last year that I've really felt that, that kind of like big sense of I'm really stepping into my purpose feeling has occurred. It's actually probably one of the conversations I've had most with, with my friend group. And it probably has been since my coaching because I spoke about it a lot. But I've had friends, friends in very high jobs that I would look at, like, you know, being so successful. And they are successful. But then suddenly getting to a point where they turn around and go, they've been like, I just don't know if I want to do what I'm doing anymore. I feel there's I feel empty. Like, I just feel this weird thing where, like, I'm waking up and I, I don't care. They say I just and it was the same thing I used to say, like, you, you feel like you're waking up and you don't care and you want to care and why why aren't I caring about my day about the things I'm doing yeah I was reminded sorry I'm like the quote queen but there is another quote that I love um and I can't remember it word for word but it was it was something that I heard early in my recovery and it was about 
once you find meaning, happiness becomes less important. And that's not to say that happiness isn't important, but that once you've got your, you find meaning or purpose in your life, and the two are kind of interrelated, I guess, that, you know, you are going to be happy, you are also going to experience pain, but you can kind of almost weather the pain easier when you, your life feels like it has purpose and meaning. I agree. I think meaning is more important than happiness in the way, in a way. And sometimes if you find that thing that you want to do, or if you find something that really lights you up, it doesn't suddenly mean that life's going to be amazing, but it just, it's, it's, it's nice to have something to wake up for in the morning. And it's also nice to feel like you found the thing that makes you feel you're being kind of off, off service to society or service to the world in some way. I, I'm not saying at all that you need to have your career all figured out for you to find meaning because actually I, I, some people do have jobs that it's not necessarily the, the thing that they love most in the world, but yet they maybe they have a job that allows them to have time, for example, to be creative and do music or do that thing outside of it. Um, but it's at least finding, finding that one thing that does um, like I said, give you that reason to want to get up and just give you that reason to want to, to keep moving even when things uh, are shit. Yeah, having that experience of using the painful parts of my life in order to help others, I think that is um, mm-hmm. a beautiful healing loop that um, certainly adds a lot yeah. of meaning to life. And going back to that Davina McCall interview, I thought it was like, quite funny at the end she was like yeah so my my purpose is to help other people and then she said and that's why I'm starting a lingerie brand and I was like it's like literally she's just reframed it as like this incredible service to humanity but like that's how she sees everything someone else might not see it that way they might think here's a way to make money here's a way to be glamorous here's do you know what I mean but she sees everything through that lens of how does this help other people and you know, you can almost apply it to anything you do, really. Yeah. yeah. No, you can. You're yeah. right. That made me laugh, because I yeah. have the same thought. I know. But, yeah, and that's probably why she, she's got to where she is. Yeah, I've definitely had that experience of being, of basically yeah. everything looking the same on externally, doing the same job, kind of living in the same kind of lifestyle, and seeing it two completely different ways. You know, one being kind of motivated of, I don't know, from quite an ego-driven way and one being motivated by here's a chance to like serve and contribute to the world. From the outside in, it would look like I was doing exactly the same thing. But for me, it felt completely different, if that makes sense. Well, it does because that makes me... Do you, do you, did you feel that with music? Because I certainly had that with music. Um, I felt that like more like with my radio stuff before I even started music, actually. So I was in recovery and I worked really, really hard um, with the radio staff and I did really well. But it was all very, very fear based, very, very like I need to prove that I'm worth something. I need to prove that I'm good enough. I need to achieve, achieve, achieve to prove to prove something, essentially. Um, I then had like a really horrible relapse and breakdown and came back. And as I kind of gently, gently, gently got back into recovery and kind of had that sort of clear out, I came back and I was, um, I just viewed things completely differently. I was like, I have this opportunity to contribute content that is valuable, tell stories that are meaningful. And um, even just like my interactions in the office with people how can I you know bring a bit of joy to people's lives how can I be you know be kind be all of that sort of stuff so I was just sort of I just came at it from a very different angle it was no longer about kind of what can I get to 
fill this void <laughs> from this situation to I'm in a position to like contribute I guess yeah yeah that's incredible I can really I can really relate to that so I coach some people within the music sphere as well and it's something that we've both spoken about and it's really nice to connect over it because it's something I've definitely experienced like when I when I first got into DJing or like at least the first few years when I started to take it semi-seriously um I think a lot of it was like you said fear-based and it started to be kind of driven by more by my ego and thinking how how can we make it what does it look like to make it what do I have to do to, to make it and like it's understandable like if it's something you love you want to be able to kind of it would be great to make money from it right but it was just getting to a point where I then started to be like oh I'm not enjoying this anymore do I maybe not love music and I had many conversations with like really good DJs like Stevie Cox amongst many others where we'd be like we'd bring each other like I think I'm gonna quit music uh, I remember she, like there was like one month where we were like stopping each other on a daily basis we're like no don't do it don't do it and um it was actually one one person in particular I don't know if you've heard of her but her name is Belinda Metwali she's actually yeah Bushrucker's wife um yeah I love her I love her so much she's an amazing meditation teacher and as soon as I practiced kind of the teachings she gave me it was like over six weeks um I started to make music from a completely different mindset and I just absolutely loved it and the mindset was when I make music basically I, I essentially I take away the idea that it's going to be released because this might not work for everyone but when I think about it that way it's it's just kills the fun like it's too much pressure I'm thinking too externally about what other people are going to think about it and then I feel like less of my um less of my expression less of my creativity goes into it uh and so I I now I use that with music in general as well like even when I'm DJing and stuff um I see it from a perspective of I'm creating a space for people to like have a good time so it's very energetic as well I try and think about it from that perspective rather than just like I'm going to do a perfect mix this set's going to be perfect I'm you know I'm not going to an over practice and work out what song goes with this and that just takes me on a wormhole that is so self-deprecating I think that often lingers in the back of my mind like oh what's so-and-so gonna think of it or like oh I hope so-and-so like so do you know what I mean rather than kind of doing it from a pure place of like this is what I love this is what excites me this is what I'm passionate about and this is why a lot of people in creative industries get burnout like having constant constant thoughts are tiring like and, and not being able to be present starts to kill the fun. Like, of course, you can love music, but of course, if you're constantly thinking about it from such an external point of view, like what's everyone thinking about me, you're, you're going to start to hate it. But it doesn't mean it doesn't mean you know I, you, you you can trick yourself and think maybe I'm maybe I don't want it that bad, or maybe I'm not as musical as this person or that person because they seem to really want it. It's like no, it's. The, the perspective that needs to change it's not like you personally or you don't need to suddenly find a new passion mm. and that just reminded me of something that I learned recently that apparently women find it harder to get into flow states because of this internalized male gaze so we tend to like split from ourselves so women have this kind of internalized male gaze so they are always sort of viewing themselves from this and that that actually stops you from being present and fully living in your body essentially and fully living in the experience that you're in that's so that's so interesting I can relate to it personally and I also hear so many uh, women talking about it and so many of my clients just talking about 
not necessarily within music either, just in the workspace. Yeah, I can so relate to that. Let's talk about ADHD. Because you've talked about burnout, and I know that burnout is particularly common with people with ADHD. And I wanted to talk about it with you because I know that you have ADHD as well. It's something I've wanted to really get into on the podcast. And I also have ADHD, and it's something that I notice is so prevalent uh, within the music industry. Do you think your ADHD contributed to your burnout? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, I I know ADHD is is so different for so many people so when I talk about it I just want to like say this is obviously my experience because it's 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 just so different but yes I do think it it contributed to my burnout in the sense of um one thing for me personally having ADHD or being on a spectrum um is that I I was very hyper aware so so sensitive to other, other people's feelings so I was almost I, I actually remember going to a doctor to booking a GP appointment and saying I'm I'm feeling things really heavily and they were like what, what do you mean and I said I'm other people's problems weigh on me so so heavily that I go around feeling like I'm collecting things all day and I'm coming back and I'm like crying and it's not about my stuff it's just about things that I'm hearing and it doesn't feel normal what could it be? Like, have you got a prescription? And they were, they, they at that time did flag, like, you know, maybe, maybe you are on the spectrum of ADHD. Now I, now I look back, yes, I definitely think it was part of my burnout because I think I was just so exhausted with being so sensitive to other people's emotions and also other people's kind of opinions of me. Like I felt, like, because I because I did feel different and I wanted to hide it, I was making such a conscious effort to act like everyone else around me and I'd get home and feel just tired I wouldn't want to be around other people yeah I really relate to that just being like being so kind of sensitive to sort of social cues and feelings and vibes and being able to kind of read a situation know exactly how to fit in and then kind of adjusting myself accordingly and I kind of feel like I did that and in that process I just didn't know who the fuck I was for many years I had no idea what I actually genuinely liked because I would kind of I don't know I'd sort of assimilate um, a personality or a style or taste or whatever and it's taken me kind of you know, I'm still finding out, I think, like finding out who you are, I guess that's like a life's work, isn't it? Yes, completely. And actually, um, one thing I've had to learn to get used to is, is now disappointing people. Like that was something I used to hate the idea of. And I used to be, I, I never used to really disappoint people because I was so good at, like you said, kind of um, adapting. And um, part of me kind of essentially rediscovering myself and kind of understanding myself a bit better and being a bit more sure of 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 the things I like and things I don't like has meant that some friendships have had to to change or kind of uh almost disappear for example the fact that I don't massively want to like sesh as much as kind of like a lot of people at the time I was hanging out with did that 100% affected friendships for me and um it was very difficult at first and um it's only probably like I said been like the last year that I've kind of got comfortable with accepting that and um but I think there's something really great that waits on the other side when you do get past that point and when you you do really start to work out uh, who the people are that kind of um, bring out the best in you and you bring out the best in them 
And you spoke about perfectionism, and I'd love to hear about your thoughts on the relationship between ADHD and perfectionism. This is really interesting, because when I'm thinking about, like, kids at school, right, like young people at school who maybe aren't doing so well academically, I, I, I can still see a, a trait of perfectionism in them that they don't want to actually go and even try and work for that thing for fear that they don't succeed, right? So it's like a protective mechanism. And I've actually only just thought about that because I was trying to think like, oh, do they, are they perfectionists? But but they are in that sense. But but for me, maybe someone, if it doesn't affect you academically or you've got really good grades or whatever, and I, I've definitely been a person that's tried to do a lot and my friends will like 100% agree here. I, I've often tried to excel or be the best at many things. And it's it's really ended up with me kind of falling flat on my face. <laughs> which was with the burnout, which when I was just like, what the, what the hell am I doing? Um, I'm trying so hard and, and yet yeah, feeling, feeling like I'm failing. But I think a way around that, I, I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but I think a way around that is, if you, if you have ADHD, is kind of trying to explore mindfulness techniques. So I think it's tools that are, are ground you. And because a lot of ADHD is... Well, I believe in the, the kind of theories I read around it are um, your nervous system being in fight and flight, fight or flight. So being kind of quite like a, a state of almost constant stress in a way. And, you know, like stress can give you adrenaline and make you want to move and make you want to do things. So um, I found a way to counteract kind of this pursuit of perfectionism or doing too many things is to slow down like um and I know that's hard to do if you do, if you are on the spectrum and it's hard for me to do, but I have to try and work at it every day. But, but trying tools like sound cringe, but, you know, breath work and meditation and um, going on a walk, like just doing things that really ground you in nature and maybe take you away from the idea of trying to pursue something, which is it's it's quite an addictive feeling for a person with ADHD. Yeah, it's that kind of like that next thing, that next thing, that next thing. Um, And I think the perfectionism, yet another quote that I can't attribute (laughs) to, uh, someone said to me years ago, and it's always stuck with me, because I was that person that you spoke about that was, um, just wouldn't try anything. Like, that's how I was. And people find that hard to believe because of how I am now, which I'm literally, where I'm literally like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do this. I'm like, you know, so busy. And uh, the quote was, um, perfectionism is polyphila for shame. And I've thought about that over the years, the relationship between perfectionism and shame. And also the that shame is a huge thing for me. Um, and I wonder if you can relate. And I think it is something quite... I know a lot of women I've spoken to have related to this, women with ADHD or, or neurodivergent women, the idea of um, shame, basically, of feeling shame and therefore overcompensating. Like, if I kind of overperform in this area, then you won't notice that I made this careless mistake back here or I said this stupid thing. So there'd be this sort of drive to prove myself even more so, you know, to kind of make up for that sense of lack, I suppose. I literally can relate to every single thing you're saying there is a lot of shame that comes with it. I think more, yeah, they say more for women than men, I think because women particularly are meant to to seem like they've got everything together. They're, they're meant to keep like the order like within the household, right? And they're meant to be the kind of the perfect mothers and God forbid they, they crack up or express themselves in a way that, that's like frantic. But I do like, as I'm talking about this, as we're talking about this, I really do 
whenever I talk about ADHD now, I just want to talk about the things that are great about it as well, because I'm really starting to acknowledge things that I love about myself and love about other people on the spectrum that I think are attributed to having ADHD. Yeah. Like being creative. Yeah, ideas, like I've always been an ideas person and that's more of a gift now that I'm able to act on some of those ideas because it was frustrating when I was younger and I was like literally just ideas and no action. Now I have some ability to act on some of them and I think that's due to me kind of uh, A, being in recovery and B, kind of uh, doing a lot of work on sort of emotionally regulating and uh, yeah, work on myself. So I tend to always gravitate towards other ADHD people. And I was literally just talking about this with my partner because other neurodivergent people or people on the spectrum of ADHD tend to like ignite each other and uh, uh, they're very generally quite warm and open. You're right. Like a lot of the time people with ADHD are really warm and they 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 can be the kind of fun as well, like the life and soul of, of a party. They can be that person who's really energetic and... Um, like bring brings that kind of sense of, of light to, to to a room um and you know if you if for musicians as well in particular I think uh, some really great producers I know who have ADHD and they've kind of reminded me about this but they're like oh but the hyper focus thing is great right <laughs> it's true like if you, if you make music a lot of the time the ADHD can help you just get into a space where you can just sit and and you know, time flies by and you're creating something and it feels great and you feel really in your element. And, I, you know, I don't know if that would be there as much if I if I didn't have ADHD. So that's one thing I like to tell myself anyway, amongst all the, the things that are annoying about it is, is like a lovely gift in a way. I always kind of finish off the podcast talking about your relationship with creativity. And obviously you've been on your own kind of healing journey and um the last few years sounds like you've done a lot of growing as a person and I was wondering how that has affected your relationship with creativity and with music I think it's affected my relationship with creativity uh and music in the sense that I approach it in a kind of more present mindset um so it's kind of like what I was talking a little bit about before but I I try to see music now as just something I love and something I want to do for the rest of my life because it brings me joy. I don't want to necessarily do it with a goal in mind for monetary gain. Um, I don't necessarily want to do it uh, to kind of get somewhere within within the scene. For me, the way I want to look at it from now on and the way I've started to look at it really this year, especially when I'm creating music, is just from a state of um, expressing myself. And that's just what makes me feel like it can be something that's sustainable as well. Um, Cause I definitely had this kind of grappling more recently, like the last few years as I'm getting older, kind of how, how I could continue to do it and, you know, getting older and DJing and all of that. Um, and it, I was kind of almost grieving in a way, the idea of having to let go of music at some point. But now that I'm seeing it through a lens of it being just something that that's part of me and, and a form of expression I, I I'm just loving it so much more and I think that's all happened through this kind of these past few years of a lot of self-exploration another amazing thing about music for me personally that it's really helped me accept accept myself culturally um it was something growing up I used to have quite a lot of shame over 
growing up in a very kind of white town and having a Muslim father and being from Lebanon and my mum was also half Indian. Um, it, it, it was something I used to kind of hide quite a bit growing up. But what music has brought for me, and, and that's actually also the scene as well. So it's not just making music, but that's one thing I love about the music scene. It's like so inclusive and it's really, it's helped me kind of step into my identity a bit more, which is amazing. Um, and that's been something, yeah, that this like happened over the past couple of years to an extent that I yeah, named a track Habibi Fitness, which is honestly like I never would have thought I'd, I'd done something back, like that back in the day. And and even like, I know it's silly, but I, I uploaded a voice note um, from my dad, who's got this very like thick, strong Lebanese accent. And I was like, you know, this is a kind of why Habibi Fitness came about. It started from a really funny voice note from my dad. And just the fact that I could do that is amazing in itself, because honestly, like in my early 20s, it was something I would never dream about. I would never, I would be so embarrassed about people hearing, you know, that I had a dad with a very thick kind of like foreign accent, which is crazy, but it, but it is how I, how I used to feel. So yeah, I, I would, I'm very, very thankful for that. In fact, the fact that music has, has allowed me to kind of become proud of, of who I am. Thank you so much, Nadia. It was so lovely to reconnect after a couple of years and just like on that train coming back from that festival, uh, we had so much to cover, so much to chat about um, and yeah, just really, really lovely. If you want to find out more about Nadia's coaching, she's doing some really incredible work, specialising in working with creatives, specialising in working with women, um, you know, in a very holistic sense, whether that's, you know, your career, your personal challenges, mental health challenges, um, she can help. And she also shares lots of really useful information um, from her coaching Instagram page, which is um, Ayusia. Uh, that's her coaching business, by the way, Ayusha. I'm sorry if I'm not saying that right, Nadia. You can follow her at uh, underscore underscore A-Y-U-S-Y-A underscore underscore. Um, and you can follow Kiara Skuru at Kiara Skuru. That's Kiara Skuru with a K. K-I-A-R-A-S-C-U-R-O. But I will, of course, put all the links um, and some links to... Um, useful resources as well in the uh, show description thank you so much to you for listening and thank you everyone who's been supporting the podcast if you want to support the podcast um, and go the extra mile then please do leave us a rating or uh, write a review if you've been enjoying it Um, it really does make a huge difference you know i'd love to continue this podcast it really feels like it's striking a chord with so many of you um and these are ways to support we also have a coffee link if you can um afford to uh send a couple of quid our way that's also always really really gratefully received and always very useful that's it for this week thank you so much for listening and take care see you soon